Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today's message is entitled, Suiting Up for Life. Pastor Ralph will be in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, here's Pastor Ralph. We're talking tonight about suiting up for life. And as we get into this scripture, we're going to be in the middle of Ephesians chapter 6. This is the, the part of scripture that tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And as we get ready to kind of launch into the part where it talks about the armor, I, I need you to, to just sort of, in a sense, take your mind off the armor for a few moments. The Apostle Paul uses this illustration of a Roman soldier. That's what they would have been very much aware of in, in their days. Everywhere you looked in the Roman Empire, the thing was run by soldiers. It's like seeing the Federales if you ever go to Mexico. Everywhere you look, there's a guy in a green uniform that's got a, a submachine gun. And that's just the way they keep the country under law and order. And this was the case in the ancient Roman Empire. And so as Paul was describing the armor of God, there, there probably is more armor than he mentions. He, he doesn't mention, he mentions faith, he doesn't mention prayer. A little later when he kind of gets down to battle, he talks about prayer. But as, as, as he mentions the armor of God, he uses a metaphor, he uses a word picture, and he kind of gives a description of a Roman soldier wearing his helmet and his shield and his, his breastplate and his big belt that he's got and all these things. And he, and he says that this is a description of the armor of God. But what I want you to think is this, because if, if I put too many pictures of Roman soldiers up here, which I am going to do, and you just sort of paste that in your mind that the armor of God is something that related to people 2,000 years ago, you're going to miss the point. You need to be wrapped up in truth. You need to have yourself covered in righteousness. You need to understand tonight the peace of God that'll take you through and care for you in the midst of whatever kind of anxiety and depression and fear and, and hatred that Satan tries to throw your way. You need to have faith. You need to know the scripture so well that it becomes a weapon in your hand against Satan and the lies and strategies of the devil. And so, in one way, I want to use the idea of armor to sort of help us to remember, because that's what Paul was doing. That's what you always do with a metaphor. You try to help somebody remember something. But another way, I want to disassociate us from the thought of armor, because if, if it gets too cute, the illustration of armor, we miss out on the reality of the fact that we need to be wrapped up in truth. We need to be wrapped up in righteousness. We need to be wrapped up in, in peace. We need to have a hold of faith. We need to have the scripture in our hand in a way that, that it's ready in our mind and we can do combat with the enemy when he comes to attack. Does that make sense to you all? So as, as we get into this, I, I just want to kind of give this little dis disclaimer, but we're, we're going to talk about wearing the armor of God tonight and in a couple of weeks from now. And now here's a picture of Roman soldiers and we're going to talk some more about this, about the shield in a, in a little while, not tonight. And this probably is more real 
than what Cecil B. DeMille put out, you know, in all those movies in the 1950s that give us the picture of what a Roman soldier would look like. And that shield there was kind of their version of a tank. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we're in, Roman, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10. And I'll just read straight through, but I just want to go to verse 15. It says, A final word. Be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks that Satan can throw your way. For we're not fighting against humans made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked demonic angels in the heavenly realms. Use every piece of God's armor to resist the devil in the time of evil, so that after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the sturdy belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. And then he goes on and talks about the rest of the armor, and we'll get into that later. I want you to just picture in your mind with me a story that I read this morning, and this is actually on the Purpose Driven website, and it's the story of this woman that was involved when this man shot and killed all of those people in the courtroom in Atlanta, went to an apartment, uh, broke into a federal agent's apartment, shot and killed him, robbed him, uh, took the guy's pickup truck, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, accosted this woman as she was going into her apartment. She's a Christian, fairly young woman, single mom, it happens to be in the midst of reading The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, is involved with her church. And the guy held her at gunpoint, broke into her apartment, uh, tied her up, was threatening to kill her, and then promised her, if you'll do as I say, then I won't kill you, and began to bargain with her. And she's, of course, freaking out like anybody would freak out in that situation. Not all that long ago, her husband passed away of cancer, and so she has a very young daughter, and she began to think in terms of, if this man kills me, my daughter won't have father or mother in her life. And she began to talk to him about that. She's in the part of the purpose-driven life that talks about the, the, the fourth purpose, which is ministry. Do you remember the purposes? Worship, get to know the Lord, fellowship, get strong with each other. Discipleship, get to know God's word. And then ministry, learn to serve other people. And she was reading through that, and, and she had noticed the page that she hadn't read yet, as she had turned through the pages of her book, that she would read the following morning. And it was about serving other people. And, and she began to, to think in her mind, I'm in this crisis situation. I'm up against something that's stronger and bigger and uglier than I am. And, and stop for just a moment and, and realize, this young man who did this, was an outstanding student. He was a responsible person. He was a great athlete. He was a practical joker. All of his friends loved him. No one can believe he did this. He broke up with his girlfriend a number of months ago. Something snapped. And he kidnapped and repeatedly raped her. That's what he was on trial for. Something snapped in the courtroom. He grabbed a, a gun away from a female deputy shot her in the head. It looks like she's going to be okay, interestingly enough. Killed four people and kidnapped this woman. You have to understand what we're talking about here in the scripture is real. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against evil spirits that we can't see, that have a way 
of destroying people who become vulnerable to them. And this woman is up against not a man, but something that's driving this man. And she's got enough of God and his word in her that she decides in this moment of extreme, and most of us in our life will never, ever encounter anything this extreme. But in this time of extreme spiritual warfare, she's got to do something. She's got to do it fast, and it's got to count. And so she begins to do the, I mean, the, the Lord says we're supposed to love our enemies. And so she begins to show this man love and compassion and talk to him and listen to him. She talks him into untying her and she, she cooks him breakfast and they sit and they share each other's life story. She shares about the Lord with him. He opens up to her and begins to trust her. He wants to get rid of the truck that he's stolen because it'll tie people to him. He's confused by this time. And so he's got this errand. He has to get rid of the truck. And, and yet he's about to give himself up. And so he has her follow him in her car. And he drives the truck several miles away, parks the truck. She drives him back to the house. She later on asks to go out to run an errand. He trusts her now enough that he lets her go out. She calls the police, has to talk them into believing this story, and brings them back to the place. They talk him down, and, and, and the guy goes into custody without a shootout. Now, this is somebody who happens to be wrapping themselves up actively in the things of the Lord. And you see the power of God and the power of God's love that can overcome a very, very evil and ugly and broken situation. As we get into this, we just need to understand that we live in a, in a universe that's broken by sin. It's under the curse of sin, under the curse of God, actually, because of sin in the world. And we need to find ourselves in a way of standing up against it. As we think about this in verse 10, I want to come right back to the, to the most basic part of this thing every week as I come through this thing. Uh, as we talk about suiting up in God's armor, wrapping ourselves up in the things of the Lord, the, the thing says, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. And if you have a pen and you're writing notes, you might want to write down Acts chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. The disciples are coming to Jesus and they're, they're asking him questions about the, when he's going to come back and when he's going to restore political power to Israel. And he goes, this is not for you to know. And he talks to them about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, coming to a place where the Holy Spirit is overflowing your life to the point that you're wrapped up. In, in, and there's two words that can translate power in the New Testament. One really means authority. The Greek word is exousia. The other, it means power. And it's like the kind of power that when you pray for somebody, they get healed. Something supernatural and powerful happens in their life. The word is dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. And he says that you'll get power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then the result of that power is that you'll reach out into a broken world and you'll invite other people to know the Lord. I thought it was so appropriate tonight as we were watching this skit that over and over it talked about people passing the baton and inviting other people to know the Lord because that's really what it's about is pulling people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And we'll receive power as we interact with the Holy Spirit. I've invited some people to come here in the names are John and Sonia Decker. Some of you know of them. They wrote a book uh, called Doing What Jesus Did. And they're going to be talking about 
how to pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how to engage the Lord at that level in a way that some of us really need to. And so the, the Lord here says to make a priority out of clothing yourself first with the power of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord's mighty power. And then it says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies and tricks of the devil. And it says, put on all of God's armor. It means all of God's armor. You know, I think that there's a, a tendency for us to find ourselves busy. And I mean, who isn't these days? You know, I, I, I was watching this skit tonight and it made me think back to the, to the good old days, way back in the, the 20th century, before we had email. And how, how peaceful life was before we had cell phones. Uh, I, I, you know, you just, I can't believe how busy everyone has become. But, but we, we tend to sometimes draw the wrong priorities. You know, this, this core five thing. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism. Those, those ought to be somewhere really high on our priority list. A lot higher than getting the car washed or a lot higher than getting the kids to Little League. You know, I, I, I get confused over the number of parents that make sports more important than church in the life of their kids. Or the number of adults that don't have time to do anything to serve the Lord. But we, got, we find time for television. We find time for other stuff. And there comes this thing of wrapping yourself up in all of God's armor and making it an issue. And there's some of us that, well, I read my Bible, but I don't pray. I read my Bible and I pray, but, you know, I get it with my friends and I just kind of fall a lot. I do these things. It says here, wrap yourself in all of God's armor. Make it a priority to have whatever it is that God has for you so that your life will work well and will function well and that you'll succeed and you'll prosper. I've been reading through, if you're going through the journal that we gave you a number of weeks ago and, and we're reading through the daily Bible readings and I was reading the, the last part of of Deuteronomy and the first part of Joshua and in Deuteronomy, the Lord just lays out all of these commands about just honoring him and, and living a righteous life. And then there's this promise after promise of his blessing and, and of prosperity and success. All those words are in there. And the next part, you get into the first part of Joshua. And I was, I was looking at that this morning and, and the command of Joshua is, is to be strong in the Lord and, and to, to act with courage. And then that in everything you do, you'll prosper. God will bless you. So it's important that we make God important in our life. It's important that we make his, his word and his truth and knowledge of him and our relationship with him into a priority in our life and that we, we build time in our routine. You know, there's some of us that, that live a life as, if you ask the person, do you have a routine? No, I don't. Well, there's very few people that don't. And most all of us have some sort of a schedule that we follow. And it may be a uh, a, a once every seven days schedule. My life pretty much works out that way. No two days are alike, but, but every week is pretty much like the week before unless I'm on a trip. There's others of us that have a very much, uh, this is my morning routine. This is my evening routine. You know, there's a guy that gets home from work, plops down in front of the TV, turns the TV on, got a can of beer in his hand. And that's his way of unwinding. That's the schedule. You know, our schedule isn't necessarily a work thing. It's just the way we live our life. You need to work God into that routine so that you find yourself getting wrapped up in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the strength that he has to offer and that things work well in your life and you succeed because that's God's plan for you. Makes sense, huh? And he says, do this so that you'll be able to stand 
against, stand firm against the strategies and tricks of the devil. And I, I've been saying this for weeks. I want to say it again. Most of what Satan's going to throw at you is a lie. You know, he, he may have the power to make some bad thing happen in your life, but he doesn't have the power to destroy you, to kill you, to crush you. He has the power to intimidate you. He has the power to terrorize you. He has the power to whisper lies about that you're no good. He has the, the power to whisper things that depress you. And the Bible says here, stand against him. It doesn't, for some reason, it, it doesn't add up that just because we're Christians, nothing bad ever comes into our life. There's this business of arming yourself so that he can't get through the armor. And then when he does come and he does take a cut at you, take a cut back at him and, and resist him. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit to God, clothe yourself in God's armor, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Wrap yourself up in the Lord, resist Satan, and he'll run away. It, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, that the devil in, in some ways is like a, a fierce dog that'll come at you. And, and if you let the dog come at you, the dog will tear you to pieces. But if you stand up to the dog, then the, the dog's going to run away. I was talking to my friend Paul Risser this week. And uh, if you remember, Paul's a real funny guy from Tennessee that was here a couple of years ago and spoke at our Leadership Advantage. And he's coming back this summer to speak in church. And we were just hanging out on the phone. And Paul's kind of like an older brother to me. And, and uh, it was really weird because it was Monday morning. And I, I, I needed some advice from Paul. There was a couple of things I was thinking about, and I was thinking, I'm going to call Paul up because I, I just need to know what, what he would do if he was in my situation. He's been a pastor longer than me. He's a few years older than me. And that night, Paul calls. And so it was like, I thought, wow, this is the Lord. And, and we were talking, and, and we got to talking about what we're teaching about this week. And Paul told me a story about when he was a little kid, uh, his dad had been a wealthy man. And he left what he was doing in his business and, and went out and became a church planter. And he planted a number of churches in his life. And they finally settled down in this one place in Tennessee. And that's why Paul talks so funny. Uh, he said that they had this, this uh, house and yard that was about an acre and a quarter, set up on a hill, very nice house, kind of overlooked the city. And he said that there was two yards. On one side of the house, there was a small yard. And because of the place, the positioning of the house, the other side, there was a big yard. And he said most of the time that they lived in that house, he was a little kid, he never, ever went in the big yard because the neighbor, there was no fence, the neighbor had these two dogs. And if you went in the big yard, the dogs came kayaking at you, and, and he was afraid of that. And so he said that, that they lived there about eight years, and seven of those years, he was in terror of those two dogs, and he would never, ever go over there and play. So he, the whole time he was there, he missed out on the big yard. They had a big yard, but he had a small yard that was his yard. And he said, one day he happened to be out there with his dad, and and here come the dogs. And he started hightailing it away. And, and his dad said, no, no, just, just stand your ground and just stand here and start to yell at those dogs. He started yelling at those dogs and waving his arms at them. And sure enough, the dogs just tur turned around like he had bit them and just went whimpering off. And uh, that was the end of the dogs. And, and he told me that, that, that ever after that, for the next year that they lived there, that was their place. They could, it was big enough they could play baseball there. But, but he was talking about the bondage that we find ourselves in when Satan comes and just, just starts yammering and making a lot of noise in our life. And a lot of times we just cave. And, and, and the scripture in, in James 4, 7, if you're writing notes, says to submit to God, now you're going to be in a position to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Makes sense, huh? Well, it talks about the time of evil. And I'm dropping down to verse 
13 here. It says, Use every piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in the time of evil so that after the battle you'll be standing firm. The time of evil is, is you know, you, you see that and it's like, oh my gosh, what's the time of evil? Well, there's some of us that would say, well, the time of evil is the last days when life gets really dark and just before the Lord comes. And we may be living in those last days because this is, this is a more of an evil age than any time that in human history. If you, if you look around and think of the number of people that are killed in wars every year, the, the, the terrorism that's on every hand, you know, there's 40 some odd wars going on in the world right now. The governments that are supporting themselves off of arms sales, you know, just selling people stuff so they can kill other people, we're in a time of evil. But I really believe here that when it talks about the time of evil, it's actually talking about the time that you come under some sort of attack or harassment from the devil. You know, people always ask the question, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Well, that's, that's a hard one because... The, Jesus in one place talks about Satan making his house inside of a person's body. But actually the word that's used all the way through the New Testament when it talks about a dark angel harassing somebody is really that, harass. The word is demonized. And I think that all of us, one degree or another, can be demonized. We can be harassed by the devil. You know, you, 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 somebody says something, you take it a wrong way, it starts to build up, build up, build up, build up in your mind. You're, I think, not dealing with that person. You're being harassed by a spirit that's trying to make you think wrong things. I think that when you're tempted to lust or to get drunk or whatever it is that you're tempted to do, uh, to just covet somebody else's stuff or, or get, you know, all, all angry all the time, whatever... Whatever it is, I think we're encountering a spirit from the enemy that's harassing us. And, and you know, certainly the kid in Atlanta that did the horrid things at some point opened the door to that in ugly, ugly ways. And, and so in that time of evil, in that time of despair, in that time of hatred, in that time of whatever it is, that we would find ourselves uh, resisting and, and standing up against the devil and knowing that we have victory and that we have power in the Lord. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and I'd like for you to turn there if you would. Uh, Corinthians is just a few pages back toward the front of your Bible uh, from where you're at. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And it says, We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. The King James Version says this, and you might want to just write a couple of these words there just to enhance yours. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means of, of the flesh. They're not human. The weapons of our warfare are not human. It says here, worldly weapons. Um, not human weapons. But they are spiritual and mighty. It says here, we use God's weapons. The King James says they are spiritual and mighty. The weapons that we fight with, it's a spiritual battle. We use spiritual weapons, and they happen to be mighty weapons. And then it says the point of using these weapons is to tear down Satan's strongholds. Remember last week we talked about David and the stronghold in the wilderness and how that there was this place called En Gedi, and it was a place in, in, out in the Tules, really. If you, if you go there, not much grows. It's just... Uh, kind of a barren landscape, but there's a lot of caves, 
a lot of canyons. And David and several hundred people were able to hide from the king. And one version of the Bible uses the word fortress, but the, uh, the King James Version uses the word stronghold. And the same word is used here, stronghold. It's a, a place of safety, a place of refuge. And last week we talked about how the Lord becomes your stronghold and that you run to the Lord and he becomes this place of safety, the place of refuge. But here it's flipping it. And it says, we're using God's mighty spiritual weapons to tear down Satan's strongholds. Well, what would that mean? Well, I think it, you, you got to think of it at two levels. I think in your own life, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about that anger can give Satan a mighty foothold. It's talking about a whole list of sins. And so you get the feeling that all of them give Satan of some kind of a foothold, but anger gives a mighty foothold. The thing in Atlanta last week, anger rose up in this person. He rapes his ex-girlfriend. He kills four people, all because of anger. Anger gives Satan a mighty foothold. But I think there comes a place where it moves beyond a foothold to become a stronghold, that Satan has a sanctuary in your mind. Pornography would be one of those strongholds. I think anger can grow into one of those strongholds. Hatred, resentment. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 